I want to share a story that uh, Tim uh, told me about at first, and it really sets up our message. And uh, the story goes this way. Uh, there was a man, and maybe you're like this, Saturday morning, he's got his newspaper tucked under his arm. He's the first one up in his house, and he goes downstairs to the table with his cup of coffee, and he thinks he'll put on a little background noise, so he turns the radio on, and as he does, he hears two gentlemen on a talk show that are talking to each other. They both have called in to this radio show. And the first voice is of an older man who begins to talk about a thousand marbles. The older man says to the younger guy, Tom, he says, Tom, it's really a shame uh, that you have to work so hard up to 60 and 70 hours just to support your family. I, I wish it were different for you. And, and it sounds kind of sad that you missed your daughter's dance recital. And then the older gentleman says this. He says, Tom, I want to share something with you that helped me really put into perspective my priorities. And that's when he began to explain this theory of a thousand marbles. And he said it this way. He said, Tom, I sat down one day and I calculated that if I lived to the average of about 75 years, and I multiplied that by the number of Saturdays, just like today, uh, in a year, I've got just about 3,900 Saturdays in my life. But Tom, something happened when I was 55 years old. What happened when I was 55 years old is I realized that I only had 1,000 Saturdays left, about the number in this jar that you see before you. And so this is what I did. I went to the toy store and I bought all the marbles they had and I went to a second and a third and when I was done, I had the thousand marbles and I put them into a plastic tub like this and determined each Saturday I would take one marble out and I would throw it away. This reminded me about the really important parts of life. And as I did that, this morning, Tom, as I'm talking to you on the radio, something amazing happened. I took the last marble out. I figure if I make it to next Saturday, I've been given a little extra time. And one of the things we could all use is a little extra time, Tom. And then he said to Tom, I hope you begin to live your life with the same priority that I've found from these thousand marbles. Well, the radio went silent. Even the moderator of the show was quiet for some time. Well, the man listening did something. He left his kitchen. He went upstairs and his woke his wife up early, and she said, well, what's going on? He goes, I want you to get up and the kids, I want to take you to breakfast this morning. And she said, well, what brought all of this on? And, and he said, oh, nothing. And then he said, when we finish breakfast, do you mind if we go by the toy store? I'd like to buy a thousand marbles. But here's what happened is um, we began to talk about like how much time we have left. And then I thought, I want this to symbolize me. And so when um, Talia and Debbie came in with Doug's marbles, he's got like thousands of little marbles. And I look at mine and mine are all really big. And I think, is there symbolism to that? Because look, Doug's in good shape. Well, then I'm actually thinking about this. Uh, uh, a couple hours later, one of our elementary students walks in and goes, oh, I love your marbles. And I said, really? And she goes, oh, I love the colors. And, 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 and I said, well, what do you call these? And she goes, oh, we call them fatties. <laughs> I said, no, they're boulders. She goes, no, they're fatties. And then I open it, and there's a, there's a certificate for Weight Watcher. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> Hey, I, I, I want to talk with you about this because we've been really weighing this through together. We have a team of people to get together and talk about uh, uh, what God would want us to talk about on, on our weekends. And, and for me, 
Sundays is my pivotal moment, my, my time with you. I, I aim it every Sunday. I get up on Monday thinking about Sunday. Uh, Sunday, I think about Sunday. And, and so I thought, that's what my life tends to revolve around. And, and then we did some statistical analysis based on, on not my lifespan, but on my professional life. And I'm not telling you I know for sure, but if I were the statistically average pastor, are you ready for this? Based on some time off and some other things, Starting today, I have 390 sermons to share with you. That's it. That's how many are in here, 390. And when I began to think about that, I don't know what you think. That sounds like not very many. When I talked to Pam about it, I said, hey, I've got probably 390 sermons to preach at Crossroads, and I'm done. And Pam said, well, I don't know if I like hearing that. And uh, uh, I was out with a friend of mine who's about my age, and I shared that, and he looked at me and said, I don't even want to talk about it. Now, now here's where I'm going. I'm not telling you I have 390. I, the, the Bible even warns us a little bit about that. It says in James 4, we're going to look at this later, come now you who say today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and buy and sell and make a profit. He says, you do not want to know what your life's like. It's but a breath that could vanish in a moment. Instead, you ought to say... If the Lord wills. So how many times do I have to share with you? Well, it's, it's God's will. It could be less than 390. Uh, by the grace of God, it could be more. But the bottom line is, there's a limited number here. And, and, and I really do know my time is running out. Now, some of you are younger, and, and I, I want to actually have you think about that. Because there's a danger sometimes to feel like you have unlimited amounts of time. But our, our time can start to run out. I, I got reminded of that this morning when I was walking right over here and Joe DePaul was talking to some people who I know and love and they're more in their senior citizen area of life. And they said, what's the name of that book uh, uh, we need to get? And Joe DePaul tells them, uh, what if you only had an hour to live? <laughs> By the way, it's a month to live. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if he's walking around going, you have an hour? You, you know, uh, but, but here's the thing, we don't have an unlimited amount of time. And I really do take seriously, and, and I mean this, every time I walk out here to share with you that, you know what, I need to know I don't have many left, and I need to say the things I need to say and share what I need to share. And if you've caught that I have a lot of passion in this, it really is a part of who I am, that I believe, okay, God, I've only got so many left, and, and when it's done, am I going to be ready? Now, maybe God will give me a few more, maybe less, but I need to be ready. Psalm 90, look at what it says there. We're told to think this way. We're told to think this way. In Psalm 90, uh, verse 12, it says this, So teach us to number our days, that we may present you a heart of wisdom. I need to have a count. I need to look. I need to realize it's not ending. Lord, teach me that I only have a limited amount of time, and, and may I present you a heart of wisdom in how I use it, is what God says. You see, our time on earth is limited. Uh, I, whether If Jesus does not come back in our lifetime, but I think he will, but if he doesn't, I can promise you this, everybody in this room will die. As a matter of fact, statistically, somebody or three people die every single second. And, and you know what? I don't know how long you have. You don't know how long you have. God hasn't promised you the next breath or the next heartbeat. What he's told you to do is use it wisely because you don't know. And, and to waste it would not be good. By the way, the greatest hearts of wisdom have figured this out. Turn to Psalm 39. Today we're going to look at two very poetic and powerful sections of Scripture. They're in poetic form, and I don't want you to miss the imagery that's given here. The first one's somewhat easy, second one a little more complex, but I don't want you to miss the truths. 
Uh, uh, Psalm 39, verse 1. The psalmist said, And I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with the muzzle. While the wicked are in my presence, I was mute and silent. I refrained from even good, and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. Before we read what he says, don't miss what he's saying. He said, I decided I'm not going to say any more. I'm not going to share any more truth. I'm not even going to tell the good things people ought to know. And then the more I tried to keep silent, it began to burn inside me. The more I mused, the more I let it swim in my mind, what really matters. It burned so hot, it blurted out of me. It exploded out of me is what he's saying. What is this truth? What is this thought? He said, I can't help but to finally share it. In Psalm 39, verse 4, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. And now I, I went ahead. I want you to look. The next, next word is salah. It, 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 in poetic form or in music, it means take a break. Rest for a moment and think back on what just happened. That amazing pause to say, do you realize that your life is transient? Do you realize your life is but a handbreadth? Do you realize that, that, that God says that, you know what, it's going to come? And he said, I tried to hide that truth. I tried to hold it back, but it burned too hot within me. Now, you and I know this. Time is relative. You've heard that over and over again. Albert Einstein, probably without a doubt, is the one who made us realize that truth. One time someone interviewed Einstein and they said, tell me about relativity. And Einstein said, you understand relativity more than you know. He said, for instance, if you were to kiss a beautiful girl for one minute, it would fly by like that. But if you were to sit on a hot stove for a minute, it would seem like an eternity. He said, that's just time is relative. And I know that's true and you do too. When I was growing up, my mom and dad lived in Edwards Air Force Base, California. My dad was in the service and, and my parents, the grandparents lived in Corona. And, and it was the joy of my sister and my's life to come and visit Granny and Granddad. And I remember they would say, this Saturday we're going to go see them. And we would get so excited. And then we would jump out of bed and get all ready. And we would dive in the car. And we would get ready for what I felt like was the eternal ride. To drive from Lancaster to here seemed like an eternity. And I would sit in the car so anxious. And it never seemed like it went in. And I remember I would say to my dad, what did you do as a kid? How much longer? When are we going to get there? And I said to my dad, how much longer? And I remember he said the words, oh, it killed me. It's about an hour away. When you're seven, eight, nine years old, an hour is an eternity, right? You know, I mean, think about it. It's like an hour. Oh, can I even make it an hour? Because it seems so long. And I remember when I used to start school. We're at that time of the year we start school. And when I was in junior high and high school even, in the beginning of the school year, I thought, I am facing eternity before school's going to be over. Man, as we're beginning, I'm already starting to count down the days, and it doesn't seem like it's going to end. And then you get my age. Now, I, I'm serious about it, and I know some of you, are, most of you are actually younger, but I want to share some wisdom with you. Get ready for this. People my age, we don't measure our lives in hours or days, or weeks, or months. Most of us measure our lives in seasons. I mean, we really do, because the season flies by faster than the hour did. I remember last January, we were planning for the summer. Summer's over. Matter of fact, two weeks ago, and last week, we got done planning for Christmas. We're done. Now we're already looking at the next winter. 
A matter of fact, we've already had planning meetings about Easter because it's going to be on us before we know it. And that's the kind of terms we use. We sit in the room and go, do you realize how quick it's going to be? Because time just flies by. And God says, if you're wise, you'll look at that. If you're wise, you're not going to miss that time just goes by. And you know what you and I need to do is we need to live. We need to live in the moment. We need to live with passion. We need to give it everything we have. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This is that section. I want to make sure you don't miss what Solomon is saying. Now, now, if you are brand new to all this, let me tell you what Ecclesiastes is. It's Solomon's lifelong journal. Now, a lot of times people don't understand Ecclesiastes because they miss that. At times, he's a little despondent. God doesn't want you to be despondent, but he's despondent because he's pursued the wrong things. And he very honestly writes about the emptiness he's experiencing. Uh, At times he pursues things he shouldn't pursue. And he shares about, but I thought that would give me joy. And he writes all about it. And as you read, read Ecclesiastes, what you're reading is a journal about a man who wanted to investigate life and ask what matters. The richest man who ever lived and the wisest man beyond Jesus who ever lived is the author of this. And at the very end, he begins to understand there's only one thing that matters, and and it probably won't surprise you. It's it's having a real relationship with God and living for him. But prior to getting there, he's just now beginning to bring it to an ending. And in in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 5, it says this. Furthermore, men are afraid of high places and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go ahead about in the street. Remember him, God, before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed and the pitcher by the well is shattered and the will will by the cistern is crushed. Then dust will return to earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Now, I'm going to just really say this. I'm going to guess in a quick reading, unless you've studied this, you don't get what he's saying. It's it's a poetic in form. So what you have to get is the imagery of what he's saying. Uh, If you skip into verse 5, and he says, the almond tree has blossomed. What he's talking about is when we turn gray. It's about the whole idea. What happens to you when you get so uh, advanced in years that now you're graying? You know, the beard's gray, the hair's gray. Uh, and what happens to a person who reaches that state? And the other form he gives of that is the grasshopper drags himself along. Uh, what is he getting at? When grasshoppers are little and young, they're jumping all over and flying all over and flapping their rings, and they just have this incredible youthful vigor. But as a grasshopper ages, it gets to the place that it can't even jump. It definitely can't fly. And it starts to drag itself. And he says, what happens when you reach a place in life where your body just isn't going to work? So what do you happens to a man when he's got gray hair and his body begins to quit on him? Well, notice what he says starting in the beginning of verse 5, or verse 1, verse 1, or verse 5. Verse 5, it says, furthermore, men are afraid of high places. You know, I, I don't know how you were when you were a kid, but I know how my friends and I were. Man, I'll tell you what, one of the greatest fun things in my life when I was about eight years old again, my dad used to put the ladder up next to the house and my friends and I would go up the ladder as fast as we could and jump off the roof. 
I remember the first day, my dad goes, you guys want to jump off the roof? And we're like, yeah. And, and nobody had a thought about it. We're just flying up the ladder and jumping and flying up the ladder and jumping and landing. And, and we're going, let's do it again. And then my dad got called in the house for a second. And, and he came out just in time because we all ran to the top of the roof, the very pinnacle peak, so we could jump off by the fireplace. My dad's like, no, that's too high. But at that age, who cares? Right? And you know what's weird? I don't even think I had a thought about going up and down that ladder. It was, I couldn't wait to do it. It didn't matter how high I extended it. I couldn't wait. And then a, a couple days ago, a light burned out in our kitchen. <laughs> it's true. I get my little giant. I set it up. I'm not afraid of heights, but I got to tell you, I checked it two or three times, and I went all the way to the height of the counter. Ooh. And uh, <laughs> what is it about us that changes us that way? And God says, you know what? You're going to hit a place like that in your life. And so what is, the, what is the wisdom he's about to say? Live to the fullest. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Live to the fullest. Then notice what he says next here. He says these lines. He says, furthermore, men are afraid of high places and the terrors on the road. When you get older, that, that can happen to you. I was talking with a woman who I love. She's a part of our church family here. And, and she was explaining to me about the one month to live. And she's excited about it and wants to be in a home group. And, and, and there's going to be some Sundays she's going to miss. And she doesn't use a computer real well. And she goes, what do I do about that? I said, well, you know what? We have a 530 service now. And she looked at me and she said, oh, I can't do that. Because I don't go out at night. Now, now, I'm not trying to say she's wrong in her attitude, but you know what? Have you met people who get a little older and they say, nope, don't go out at night. Uh, matter of fact, I was talking to another woman and she said these words. You probably, have you heard anybody who's older say this? I don't drive on the freeway anymore. Why? Because of the terrors of the road. The terrors of the road. You know, you hit a place where the freeway now is, is incredibly, almost scary, I don't know if you heard about the woman who had that feeling and her and her husband had retired and she just couldn't stand the freeway and, and her husband had to go uh, uh, run an errand and she goes, you're not going to go on the freeway, are you? And he goes, yes. And she goes, please don't go on the freeway. He goes, honey, it's not that big a deal. And she is freaking out and she actually is in her kitchen and the TV's on over on the side and she hears from the TV, you know, breaking news alert. There's a, a car going down the freeway the wrong way and they named the 91 and she's like, oh no, my husband's on the 91. And so she even knows he should, hopefully won't answer. She calls him on the cell phone. He goes, honey, honey, look out. There's someone on the freeway going the wrong way. And he goes, honey, I got bad news for you. Everybody's going the wrong way. <laughs> you got that one. Yes. All right. Uh, I had three jokes this year go over. If you're brand new to us, that's one of them. All right. Uh, the bottom line is, he says, that you, do you realize a day may come if, if God lets you live where your body's not going to work quite the way you want, you're not going to be able to experience all the things you want to do. So what is the answer? It's not to give up, not to quit. It's to do it now. Live life to the fullest in the moment. Don't miss it. The next line he uses there, and the caperberry is ineffective. Now, now, what is he talking about there? He says, there comes a day you can't taste as well. A caperberry was used to flavor food. Kind of like salt or pepper or Frank's buffalo wing sauce. Okay, and, uh, and, and, and what happens is, is a day will come where your taste buds just can't quite enjoy everything the way you used to. Now, what is God saying through Solomon to us? He says, know that days like that could come upon you. 
So live every moment to the fullest and use it well. Know that a day may come where you're lying there passed away and there are mourners going about the street crying over you. Know that the silver cord can be broken for you one day and will. Know that the golden bowl will be crushed. Know that the wheel, the idea of being able to do energetic things, will also be crushed. And realize this, your spirit one day is going before God. So what is Solomon saying? You better live life to the fullest. Don't, don't give up. Don't give a moment away. Make sure you're living with everything you have, every taste you can taste, every moment you can experience, every height you can climb, every trip you can take, and not to waste it ineffectively. Not, by the way, I'm not advocating a commercialism to charge it up. I'm saying be very intentional that your life isn't wasted. That's what God is saying to us. That's his great desire. Here's the question we've been asking, and if you would turn to Ephesians 5 while I I get there. Here's the question. You ready? We're going to ask this for all this month. What if you only had one month to live? What if you had just one month to live? Now, I want to say that that's something I hope that we as a church family, and and let me really say this honestly and clearly. I would love for every single one of us for the next month to pray and talk to God about what if I only had one month to live? We want you to get in community settings. And today we're going to ask afterwards some more community group hosts to sign up. We want you to get in settings with people where you sit down and say, hey, you know what? I, I've been praying about it. I've been thinking about it. I've been contemplating it. What if I only had one month to live? What would I do? And I want to talk about it for the next four weeks after this. What if you and I only had one month to live? You know, the doctor gives you in the office. He said, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. You might have a month, you might have two, but just plan on a month. Book a flight to Hawaii if you want to, but make it a one-way ticket. You're not coming back. Uh, What are you going to do? And I want you to think that through with me because here's where I'm going with this. I hope that you wouldn't give up. I could tell you this. If I had one month to live, I wouldn't give up. I would want to spend it with people I love. I would want to nail out some of those dreams. I would want to pursue some of those moments. I would want to enjoy every, every bite of food I could. I would want to do that. I, I don't think that I would give up, and I hope you wouldn't either. I think there's probably some people I'd call on the phone I haven't called recently and say, hey, let's talk before I go. I, I really think there's some trips I probably would take kind of quickly, but I could tell you this, I'd be here every week with you. Uh, 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 the bottom line is, what is it? So let me ask you this. What are those dreams that you want to have? What are those goals you want to fulfill? What is your destiny you want to pursue? By the way, I, I love the movie. I don't know if you loved it. I loved the movie The Bucket List with Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. Man, I love that movie. And if you haven't seen it, if these two men know they're going to die, so they make a bucket list, a list of things they want to do before they kick the bucket. Now, I don't know what is on your bucket list. Uh, 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 for Pam and I, number one on our list is go to Israel. And we're planning on going to Israel next year. Uh, I had on my bucket list to, to go to Africa and minister amongst the poor and go on safari. Now, we've already got to do that once. We're going to do it again. I remember one of my things on the bucket list, I wanted to stand on a glacier and see a bald eagle fly. And God granted me my request. I literally stood on a glacier, sawing a bald eagle fly in Alaska. And I looked down and God gave me an extra blessing, beluga whales swimming. And, and, and you know, I stood there to, with my, my dad, my father, my heavenly father, saying, you made all this. And, and man, to experience that. But do you have any dreams like that? And if you don't, why not? 
Why? I mean, you're made to live. You aren't made to settle. You're not made to, to, to just spin purgatory uh, uh, out. At, what's purgatory? It's the 91 freeway in the morning. Uh, that's not what you're made for. You're made to experience amazing, amazing things. And so I hope you would. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 15. Don't miss this. Paul says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Did you catch that? Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, uh, there's a, a book that was written in the Middle Ages called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis. It's actually a, a, a group of people who had just wholeheartedly committed to Christ. And they began to, to talk about what it would mean to imitate Christ fully over a course of years. And they put it into a book form and Kempis is credited with the man to bring all this together. It's an amazing uh, a series of things to think about. Listen to one of them. Thomas Kempis writes this. I do not doubt you would correct yourself more earnestly if you would think more of an early death than a long life. I have no doubt, he says, you would correct yourself more earnestly. You would make your life more, more focused and you would do away with sin and wasted things. And you would do the things you should do if you would think on an early death rather than a long life. He says, therefore, in every deed, in every thought, in every act, act as though you were to die this very day. Blessed is he who keeps the moment of death ever before his eyes and prepares for it every day. There, there are two men I think of who live this way. One's the Apostle Peter. So Second Peter, if you can get over there. Second Peter chapter 1, I want to show you this. Uh, uh, the Apostle Peter lived this way. Uh, uh, what happened is, many of you know this, is that when Jesus was uh, uh, washing their feet and beginning to uh, have the Last Supper with them, uh, he proclaimed, he said, all of you will turn from me. And Peter said, Lord, I would never turn from you. And he looks at Peter and says, Peter, you will, you will literally reject me in front of people three times before the rooster crows. And Peter said, I would die for you. He said, no, you're gonna do that. And, and you know what happened. As a matter of fact, what we do know happened is that, that, that Peter was standing by a fire and a young teenage girl looked at him and said, aren't you a follower of Christ? And he said, no, I'm not. And someone else said, aren't you a follower of Christ? He said, no, I'm not. Someone says, you have a Galilean accent. I think you've seen. And then it says, just to prove he wasn't a follower of Christ, he began to curse. And as he did, the rooster crowed, but also as he did, if you've read the Gospels, Jesus was being taken to Pontius Pilate. And it says that Peter and Jesus' eyes met right after he did it with the sound of the rooster crowing. And he went away and just wept. The word wept, there's not even a good word in the Greek. It was he had a guttural time of just, oh, gushing out tears because of what he had done. And, and in John chapter 21, we're told that Jesus now has risen from the dead and Peter is out with everybody on the boat and, and they're fishing because he's contemplating going back to his old way of living and not pursuing what God has called him to be. And, and then someone yelled, have you caught anything? And they turned and said no. And he says, throw the net on the other side. And they threw it. And the net's filled with fish. And John turns and goes, it's the Lord. And Peter throws off his cloak, dives in the water, gets there as fast as he can. And when he gets out, it says Jesus is standing there. And Jesus has already made breakfast on the shoreline. And how did he do it? You know, the fisher in the net. Where did Jesus get the fish? How did he make breakfast? We know the answer. Jesus just went breakfast and it was there. And... Uh, and then you remember it happened. I know most of you know this. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And, and Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, Simon, 
do you love me more than these? He says, Lord, you know I do. And he said, Simon, do you really love me? And it says, Peter was grieved because he asked three times. But here's the point. Jesus did it three times to restore him back. Three times he had denied. Three times now he was restored. And then comes these words. I want you to be in 2 Peter 1, but listen to John 21, verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this to him, he said, follow me. And Peter did. No more fishing. Now it's follow Jesus completely. Where to my death? to the way I would die. And, and if you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, don't miss what Peter's about to say about that moment. 2 Peter 1 verse 12. Peter says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is presented with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. Before I read on, don't miss what he's saying. He goes, I know it's the right thing to do for me to continually remind you of the things of God. Things you already know. But I'm going to say it again. And I'm going to say it again. Why? Look at what it says in verse 14. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent at that any time after my departure, you'll be able to remember these things. Call them to mind. What is Peter saying? He said, Jesus made it clear to me. It's imminent. It's coming. Now, now note in John, it doesn't look clear to us. But Peter says, he made it not only clear to me about how I would die, but when I would die. I know the date. I know the moment. I know the place. And I know the method. I'm going to die in Rome. They're going to condemn me to death after beating me repeatedly and torturing me, and I'm not going to this time deny. And then when they finally call out crucify, I'm going to beg them, not like my Lord, do it upside down. And we know that's what happened to Peter. Now here's the thing I want you to think about. He knew the day he would die, the place he would die, and he followed Jesus there. He wouldn't run from it. But what did he say? Until that moment comes, I'm living to the fullest. Until that moment comes, I'm sharing with you the most important things. Until I come, I'm not going to let go of this. And I want to ask you, is that the way we're living? Because when you live like this, you live a life that's incredible. Another man who, who thought a lot about an early death was Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard's my favorite philosopher, but, but at a very young age, he had, had, it was a prolific writer and thinker, and he moved his area of the world, and, and he brought about amazing changes, and he stirred up people to have to really confront some issues, and he wrote, and he wrote, and he wrote, and if you look at the volumes of work that this man did, at a very young age, you'd say, wow, he accomplished so much. Now, here's why. Are you ready for why? Because his father would tell him and his brothers they were all going to die young. Kierkegaard says from his earliest memories, his dad actually said, every one of you will die before I do. And his dad was kind of a hypochondriac on top of it. So his dad's laying in bed, you know, when he's a 13-year-old going, if I, I'm about to die, that means you'll die today before me. That's called the demented, isn't it? And, and yet, here's the wild thing, is the father kept saying that and saying that and saying that. And, 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 and by the way, his dad died first. But, but Kierkegaard Kierkegaard died at 42. But here's what he did tell us. Because of that being so driven into him, he lived, he lived in a way to use every single second. 
He didn't think he had an unlimited period of time. So he gave it everything he had. And here's my point, and, and the point we want you to get. If you and I would decide, what if we only had one month to live, and then we began to do all those things we should do, at the end of the month, we would have an amazing life. And then if we have another day, more amazing life. And we just start living and using the time we have in the way that God wants us to. That's God's great desire. And that's what James is getting at in James 4, verse 13, when he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, and we will do this or we'll do that. But as it is, now don't miss this, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, knowing you only have a short time, Knowing your life could be over like that. Knowing that a wise person lives by always asking God, what's your will? Listen to this. Therefore, for him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. You know, I think there's a problem we have today. I think very quickly we can name all the things that if we did them are sin so we know what not to do. But did you catch that it's also a sin for you not to do what you're supposed to? Mark Batterson in a pit with the lion on a snowy day said, he goes, I think we're going to be far more accountable to God for our sins of omission than our sins of commission. The fact that God created you to do amazing things, the fact that God created you to, do, to serve others and to care for others and to love others, if you and I don't do that, we stand before God and he looks and says, why not? Why didn't you look? that child in your neighborhood? Why didn't you visit that person who was a shut-in? Why didn't you go and care for the person who was hurting? Why didn't you pour yourself into your church's cause of eradicating poverty from a slum in Kenya? Why did you always make it about you? But Lord, I didn't commit adultery. And God says, yeah, but what did you do with your life? And you might say, is that really what God's getting at? What does Jesus say? On the final day of judgment, I will gather the people before me and I will separate them in the sheep and the goats. And I will look at the goats and I will say to them, when I was hungry, you did not visit me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was in prison. Now, 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 now grab hold of that. Notice they all go, but when, Lord? He goes, you didn't do it. Notice the judgment. In the judgment, he says, I want to talk to you about what you did not do. That you didn't love. You didn't care. You didn't use your spiritual gift. You didn't pour into other people. That's what I want to talk to you about. See, God created you before, uh, actually planned for you before you were ever created, amazing things for you to accomplish. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, if you really think about this, if you only have one month to live, you should do everything God's created you to do. You ought to experience the amazing things. You ought to have incredible dreams. But more than that, you ought to fulfill your destiny. And I want to tell you, you've got a destiny. You have a reason for living. You have something God's called you to. There isn't one person in here that God doesn't plan for you to do things that are literally beyond all you could hope or ask or dream. They're for you. And you ought to use every moment and every breath to do it. There's a man who did that that I heard of named Stan Gerlich. Stan uh, uh, had an incredible family, was a very successful businessman, had a great love for God. And uh, Stan had a passion to do what God wanted him to do. And uh, one of his friends died, and they asked Stan to come and give the eulogy. And he got up, and he was sharing about his friend. And, and then in front of everybody, he said, I got to talk about something. 
I mean, in a moment like this, how could you not think about God? And how couldn't you understand that Jesus really is the only way and, and, he, and Jesus came to love you and forgive you and cleanse you? And I want to tell you, there's nothing more important than you think about that right now. And then he said these words, and everybody remembered it. He said, and none of us know how long we have. None of us know how long we have. So you need to decide right now, are you going to live for God? And then he went and he sat down on the front pew and then he fell over on the floor and died. He fell over. His kids got around him trying to resuscitate him and they couldn't do it. They couldn't get him. And, and, and they're sitting there looking around and he's, he's dead. He's gone. And uh, they called their pastor, his name Francis Chan, and, and, and Francis Chan rushed to the house to be with the family. And when he came in the door, he was trying to think, God, what do I say to comfort them? And, and he got in the room and looked around. And, and even though they, they understood what happened, there was a joy you couldn't miss. And the son looked at, at his pastor and he said, I got to tell you something. He said, I am so proud of my dad. He died doing what he loved to do. He died doing what was most important to him, telling people about Jesus. And uh, the pastor reached down and grabbed his Bible and happened to flip open and looked and went, oh, Look where it flipped open to. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, where Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my fathers in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my fathers in heaven. And he looked at him and said, do you realize what happened? One minute, Stan was saying, here is Jesus. And the next minute, Jesus was standing before the father saying, here is Stan. Right? And you know, I want to tell you something, that, that God loves you, and he's called you to do great things. And I hope you've given your life to him. I hope you're living your life for him. I hope you're sharing about him. And, and, and that's God's great call. The most important thing that you want to settle before you walk out of this room today is, are you in a very real and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? And I want to tell you, if, if, if all of a sudden I walk in that room or I end this stage and I'm gone, I'm not going to do it without asking you that question. It's the most important question I can ask you. Are you in an intimate, very real relationship with Jesus? And, and if you're not, I want you to know he loves you and he cares about you and he wants this with you and for you. And how do you enter into it? What you do is you say to him, I want it. And, and you pray a prayer. And, and here's what I'm going to do in a minute. I'm going to stop in the middle of a prayer time we're about to have. And today, if you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to open your heart to him, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray a prayer with me. Just say, say it, and, and as you do, you're saying, God, I want to be yours. I want the forgiveness. I want the cleansing. I want to live my life with you and for you. I want to be who you made me to be, and I want to experience life yet. And we're going to ask you to pray those words. And I'm hoping some of you today, say, you know, because we don't know that you have tomorrow. We don't know. And, and, and it really is important you decide, am I going to be who I was created to be and live this life with God? There might be some of you today who need to come back to God. You know, at one time you were in love with him and you knew him, but you're not living with him and for him today. But you know what? He couldn't love you more than he does right now. And he wants you to come back and he wants you to be his. And so today, if, if you want to recommit yourself, man, I'll, don't put it off. Do it now. And so when we go into this prayer time, if you want to give your life to Christ for the first time, maybe you don't have all the answers, but you're saying, that's it, I'm going to do it. If you want to come back to him, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray together. Father, may we be a church that lives our life, numbering our days, presenting a heart of wisdom to you. May we be a church family that makes the most of our time, knowing, Lord, that we want to give you every moment and every second. 
and put it into your hands and watch what you do with it. And Father, while there are certain things we don't want to do, the most important thing today is we don't want to miss what we should do. The people we should be, the lives we should touch, the relationships we should encourage people in, the giftedness that's in this room is amazing. And may it be used. And I pray right now, Father, I ask for your spirit to literally come in this room. Please begin to move and stir, Lord. And begin to cause every one of us to be aware of how much we matter to you. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would touch anybody here especially who needs to either commit or recommit their life to you. God, I ask that there would be something happening that deep down inside they can sense this is their moment. That, Lord, they would know this is their time. And they would want to say this prayer and mean it and begin this life that's incredible or come back to it. I'm going to ask that we keep praying and I'm going to lead that prayer in a moment for anybody who wants to commit their life to the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to pray it with me right where you're sitting. Let's just say these words together. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new, to make me yours. And I say yes. I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, praise God for all of you who prayed that prayer, man.